everyone. Welcome to the Exit Velo podcast. This is episode number 79. Believe it or not, we have been at it for quite some time, giving you all all the latest news. I'm Henry, joined here by Adam and Ben, and we are ready to talk a little bit more MLB action with you all once again. How is it going, fellas? I'm doing pretty well. I'm starting my internship at the Duluth Huskies in the Northwoods League starting tomorrow. We have our first broadcast starting on the 31st. So I've been waiting for that all year round, and I'll be 21 in the same week. So be a fun week overall. Special 21st birthday indeed, gain to into a kid's dream of broadcasting, definitely. And yeah, I, I'm just glad to be back on this show. I've been busy covering a, a lot, covering a lot of sports this past week. You know, hockey right now, we're in the heart of the Stanley Cup playoffs right now for the sports biggest trophy. But then, I mean, it's, but there's nothing, but I mean, MLB season's been nothing in fear, inferior in terms of excitement that's provided now so i'm just really glad to be back covering baseball summer's here i could just smell the grass smell the baseball weather see the action and i'm back here in denver colorado so i'm ready to see all the dingers here as i'll be working with the mile high collegiate baseball league another summer league like the northwoods league not as well known but Hey, it, it sounds like big life moves going on. The Exit Velo team going on to take on the baseball broadcasting world. Congratulations to you, fellas. I was talking pre-show that you know, I'm also managing a fifth-place fantasy baseball team. So we're, we're making moves all around here on Exit Velo. But glad to hear that life is good, fellas. And yeah, it's been a great baseball season thus far. And I'm really just happy that we don't have 10 games left in the season. That's where we would have been if we were going on a 60-game schedule like last year. We are already 50 games into the year, or just about, and that is wild. It's gone by pretty fast, but we got a whole lot more, a whole long summer of baseball. So let's jump right into the latest news from the last week or two. And this was actually a storyline from last week. We're going to start off on a lighter note. We saw Reds outfielder Nick Castellanos giving a pretty hilarious post-game interview. Uh, he gave a Reds fan a fist bump after a home run, and the announcers asked him in the post-game interview, what was that about? Uh, as it turned out, Nick gave the headset to that fan. He wanted to let him tell the story. So that, that Reds fan said, he yelled at Castellanos to picture that the baseball was Rob Manfred's head. And then Castellanos hit the very next pitch over the wall for a home run. Uh, so, yeah, that is uh, that's something. You know, the Reds have been heavily penalized this year. A couple suspensions, Castellanos among that as well. And no, uh, no, no good feelings, apparently, for the commissioner. I don't know what really changed with the Reds, but I feel like whenever since Trevor Bauer landed that team, the entire team atmosphere has just completely changed. You had very strange players, such as Amir Garrett or even Derek Dietrich, who are just leading the team. And then you have Castellanos and Winker, who are very intriguing players in their own right. I think it was Winker who was yelling at some Mets fans, and they yelled back at him and were booing him. So I think that happened last year or maybe a couple of years ago. So – it just seems like a very fun team, but on a more serious note, it does seem like the league is still not the biggest fan of Rob Manfred. Everyone knows that he didn't do a great job with the Astros scandal. None of the players were penalized for it. They just got a slap on the wrist of anything else. So kind of fun to hear that some of the league players, such as Castellanos, who's pretty well-known, don't like him. 
but that was a pretty metaphor metaphorical way or uh, describe it. Yeah, and like I just think find it funny that it's another thing that happened in right in my backyard here, Coors Field, Denver. Like, what what more is going to happen here this season? You had a lot of very interesting games going on here. You've had a lot of <laughs> you're going to have. The, the sudden all-star game is going to be held here. And then now to see like the, the first or one of the first real, like real, like humorous moments where it's like me versus the MLB happen, happening humorous moments right here is definitely something, but I mean, I'm just hoping it's, it's funny that you're saying with the Reds, like with Trevor Bauer, I mean, last year, one of the biggest like MLB versus player moment happened with Trevor Bauer and his cleats, which is also with the Reds. So I just, find it kind of ironic the Reds are never like the most talked about team because they're not like they're not like the top team or anything by no by no means I'll take anything away from them but like they're always they're always have find their players caught up in some kind of like humorous controversy I mean I'm just hoping that like amidst some of the other disagreements and difficult and, and like difficulties going on the MLB right now that that like bringing a comedy show out of a career year like what Castellanos is having. Let's hope the league doesn't question his humor like it's done with past players and and see it maybe and maybe cuts him a little slack with that dirty humor. I don't know. And we are about a week removed from this incident now, quote incident, and no suspension or anything for Castellanos. I would take it he is probably in the clear, but – you guys made a couple good points there. The Reds kind of building an identity for themselves as perhaps the the bad boys of the MLB. And you said it, Ben, for a while they kind of have been a team that's maybe blended in the pack. It's a small market. It's it's not a huge budget. But they definitely got a lot of personality in that locker room and a lot of talent too. Adam, you mentioned Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos, Trevor Bauer, of course, last year. Some good players in Cincinnati, fun to watch, and everybody loves getting a good laugh at the commissioner's expense. Uh, But moving on from Cincinnati, we had another big storyline and that long-awaited prospect for the Mariners outfielder Jared Kelnick made his MLB debut. He, of course, was kind of in that preseason controversy where we had the uh, Mariners team executive, uh, I believe it was the president, um, who had that comment or several comments to a Rotary Club talking about how he openly was manipulating service time and then we perhaps saw that with Kelnick, him, of course, staying down in the minors after the extra year of service time deadline had passed. Uh, but he is up now and looking to be one of the better young players in today's game. And the president that you're referring to, his name is Kevin Mather. We did cover him, I think, like a bunch of episodes ago. I think it was right before the season began. But he's not the president anymore, of course. He's an ex-president. And yeah, that was a very poor look into Kelnick's future career as a Mariner, but he has taken the league by storm a little bit. He homered in his second game. I think in his first game, he hit a ball over 100 miles per hour. And slowly but surely, the Mariners are starting to show this new look team. They're bringing up all these prospects that have been in the system for a while. They might not make the playoffs this year, especially with a lot of very good AL teams and a lot of good ALS teams, including the A's and the Astros, but their future does look bright. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I mean, he's, I'd say he is definitely yet to live up to it in his first weeks. I mean, he did have his home run, but he's 
still been off to a little bit of a slow start in his career. But what was what's interesting about him is that how, how much he's touted already. Like I was watching something on MLB tonight. Tom Verducci was actually pointing out something interesting that the majority of pitches that he has been thrown are non fastballs, which is not what you would see from a new rookie in the league. Usually, when, when the new experienced guy is there, you might see guys just go after him with fastballs more. But he's been throwing a lot of non fastballs and. It's, I mean, it's been a rough season. It's been still a rough season for the Mariners, but like you were saying, um, they have a they have a big time rookie, big time young class to look forward to. But I'm I'm just curious to see how Kelnick picks up from here for sure, and if he's if he, if he can like make fast adjustments to the pitches and really impress the league here, overcome all that other past stuff you guys were talking about. Definitely a sign of respect to be getting a lot of off-speed pitches this young or this early into his career. Usually, yeah, you do see a whole lot of heat for the young guys, thinking you maybe just overpower him, not used to that. But definitely a sign of respect for his talent level and trying to get him on on his toes before he's even really established himself. But a lot of young, exciting players upcoming for the Mariners, for sure. We saw Logan Gilbert make his MLB debut last week as well. Highly touted pitching prospect. Of course, you have Kyle Lewis in the outfield. We've already seen still waiting on Julio Rodriguez down in the farm system. They got Dylan Moore, Ty France, good young players out there. Something to look forward to, even if it may be a losing season. But sticking in the AL, our next storyline, of course, is with Tony La Russa, Yerman Mercedes, and the White Sox. They took the MLB Twitter scene by storm last week when Yerman Mercedes hit a home run and a blowout win uh, where he swung through the take sign on a 3-0 count. La Russa was not pleased at all with his young slugger, um, kind of going against him for breaking quote-unquote, un- unwritten rule of the game, where something to be said about that, I suppose, and respecting your opponent and respecting your manager and the take sign, but come on, man, everybody loves home runs. So I think we kind of look at this situation in two different ways. So this is actually brought up on the Yankees broadcast. I was listening to a Yankees game, and they were talking about it. Now, if Mercedes swung on 3-0 and that was the end of it, then okay, that it doesn't matter what type of situation it is. LaRusso needs to grow up. Baseball's changing a bit. And also, Mercedes is a rookie. He's still proving himself. We know he's doing great. He needs to put food on the table. These are opportunities for him to get additional stats on his plate. We saw Yellow be the other day get his first home run. That was on a 3-0 pitch in a blowout game, but he was slumping and he needed a home run too. So if that's the case, then I'm all for Mercedes' side. But if he didn't get the tape or didn't follow the tape sign on purpose from Larusa, then that's a different story. And if he was angry at him because of that, I mean, we've all played baseball before. If you're not following your manager's orders, whether it's good or bad, they're going to be annoyed at you, and that's fair because they're supposed to run ship. But nevertheless, we kind of predicted that Larusa, who's an old manager, he's a Hall of Fame manager, very deservingly so, but he's in his 80s and with a very young, very ego-driven White Sox core. There's going to be some heads clashing. We're already starting to see that. I just think it's really interesting. So I feel like we're just seeing a whole different side of LaRusso, which is interesting because, like, he was always known. He seemed to be kind of like the player's person as a manager back in his days with, like, St. Louis and Oakland. He always had tents. He was really good at, like, turning players' careers around, helping them kind of be reassuring and talking to his players, giving them a nice talk, but then to just kind of lash out at a player off to the side like that. I mean, I don't remember ever seeing a manager 
do something that extreme in terms of in terms of anger to a to a player. But yeah, like you were saying, your I mean, Mercedes is trying to prove himself. I mean, it is understandable for him to maybe get mad in the moment like that. Like, I mean, managers have the, their moments where they got unhappy with players, even like their best players and everything. But for him to kind of continuously, I don't know, for him to like say all that stuff and even like defend an opposing team, which you really, really rarely hear, especially in baseball, you don't hear guys defend opposing teams that often. I feel like that. I feel like baseball is one of the rarest sports to to see that and but from to defend an opposing pitcher throwing behind him and then is is just one of those things that's like really shocking with our manager like Larusa and let alone I mean I I would argue I mean Mercedes has helped him is helping Larusa this season I mean he's helping him almost keep his job because if if it wasn't for Mercedes how he's been one of the people really carrying the White Sox have been playing well now after a disappointing start I don't know where I don't. I don't, I don't know where the White Sox would be if it wasn't for Mercedes breakout. They could be at such a such a disappointing point, but the people would be calling for Tony LaRusso's firing. But I mean, thankfully, they're doing well enough that I mean, LaRusso can defend himself. And he has been a big part of their success thus far. I mean, you lose Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez in the outfield. You need all the help offensively you can get. And Mercedes has been swinging a hot stick. I, can't really fault him for going up there, trying to hit bombs. Another part of the story I forgot to mention, too, was actually on a position player who was pitching for the Twins uh, in that blowout. And, I guess, yeah, I guess the Twins must have taken offense to that, too. Because as you mentioned, Ben, they throw behind Mercedes the next day. And Larusa comes out and he defends Minnesota, said, I, I have no problem with doing that. And that really did seem weird for a guy who has that reputation of being so, you know, beloved by his players and and a reputation of going to bat for his players. That was weird to me. He's he's giving me kind of cranky old man vibes. Uh, not to disrespect the legend that Larusa is, certainly a Hall of Fame career, as Adam mentioned as well, but just not a great look. But the White Sox still first place in that division, and in, in spite of some of the clashing of personalities there. And finally, before we close out the segment, I would be remiss if I did not say this is hardly the first time that Tony LaRussa has mishandled the Mercedes. Um, so we're going to move on now, and we are going to talk about a rumor coming out of Oakland last week that the Athletics were looking at relocating, possibly to Las Vegas following the Raiders. Ben, I know as an Oakland sports fan, that would be heartbreaking. It totally would. Like, I mean – I don't even have to say I can't even talk about that. Like my like laugh just the last moment just like completely died after hearing <laughs> this news. I mean, yes, the A's are demanding a lot for the city, and yes, I, I can understand oh, what's always been the skepticism for the city of wine of, of like the whole public funds thing. I'll get into that in a whole other whole other time if any of you ever want to any of you viewers ever want to have a talk with me about that. I'll get into that a whole other time. But like, but like, I mean, I just feel like this. It's the city just needs to really come together though and it, 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 i mean what the mlb is doing by looking at these locations they are doing is kind of sending that message to the city that they have to get together the city council has to vote approve this stadium project by the water that is the best option for them i mean every time i go to the coliseum i can kind of see how it's not the most suitable suitable place for baseball it needs to be upgraded i mean I, I do wish they looked at the coliseum site and redeveloping there but I can understand why they why they're looking at downtown waterfront ballpark because I mean the, the city council needs to see how it's going to bring like hundreds of jobs downtown Oakland and stuff and really really help grow the community there. So it's just 
it's just heartbreaking to see this, but I hope that this really sends a message in the city council comes through on their scheduled July 20th vote, which is actually scheduled to vote on the ballpark. So at least they're putting it on the table. So we'll see where it goes from there. Wow. That's so soon. That's less than two months away. So hopefully they'll make the decision to keep the A's in Oakland. They've been there since 1968. So quite a long period of time. And as difficult as it would be for A's fans like yourself to lose the A's from uh, Oakland, I feel like for them moving to Portland or to Las Vegas wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I mean, it would be sad for, of course, the Oakland fans, but I think they might have a decent amount of success there. I know in Las Vegas they have a pretty competitive team there. I think they have like a AAA team. There might be in the Mets organization. Oh, no, they're, they're actually our AAA affiliate. That's good to know. Okay. Thank you for clarifying it. Recent, so, recently acquired. I know AAA affiliates changed a lot. Yeah. But they, the current, our current AAA affiliate. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for pointing that out. So I feel like that wouldn't be the worst part, worst part in the world because Las Vegas obviously gets a lot of people there. I'm sure even during the pandemic, they get a lot of people there. I'm sure they would have some good revenue. I know if Oregon too, they were talking about getting a Portland team for a while there maybe moving a baseball team there so they would have their wish. I don't know if it would draw a bigger crowd than Oakland, but it, it is interesting that they're looking up for options. Maybe they'll force the officials' hands in giving them a better deal. I would certainly think that would help get a little bit of leverage in trying to negotiate with the city if you're actively out shopping around, looking at other options that put a little bit of pressure on that we're not just going to – sit around and pray that the city ends up giving us what we want. So hopefully, yeah, that does improve the A situation a little bit and trying to stick around in Oakland because I know a lot of tradition in that city and would be kind of awful to see another sports franchise relocate so soon after the Raiders just did it. But hey, man, if it's Vegas, I'd always be fun weekend trip, go catch a catch a game. So there, there could be worse places to relocate to on the bright side. But Moving on, we have some other storylines to cover around the league. And we saw longtime uh, slugger and future Hall of Famer for sure, Albert Pujols, get surprisingly, surprisingly released by the Angels and then picked up by the other Los Angeles team, the Dodgers. That was pretty crazy that the Dodgers, out of all teams, picked him up because Dodgers have the most depth pretty much out of any team in baseball. And to get essentially a 40-year-old slugger who plays a very poor first base, and now he's playing almost, I wouldn't say almost every day, but he's getting certainly a lion's share of time for the team right now. And producing a little bit, I, I still don't think he, I still think he has a negative war, but nevertheless, he has a home run under his belt. He's had a couple of crucial RBIs and can still play a little bit. It'll be a nice swan song for him. And Hopefully he can kind of follow suit from a Chase Utley perspective or Logan Forsythe perspective and Jurgen Jim and Rollins type of perspective and hopefully have a nice end of the end of his career moments with them. I think what Albert Pujols is doing is great in terms of where he's ending. I mean, he's California dream and again, living the California dream. Only this time, hopefully it's actually more of a dream and not as much of a you know, nightmare. I'm not saying it was a nightmare in Anaheim, but seeing the way the team underperformed, like in, in all his years with, with the Angels, I saw they always were touted having Albert Pools, Mike Trout, but yet in all these years, they've only made one postseason appearance, one where they were quickly swept out in 2014. I remember that, but since then, every year they've been expected to perform and they haven't there. So 
I think it's good for him that late in his career, like you were saying, Adam, you were talking about swan song. I think I, I think it's not a bad idea that he's getting a swan song with a major competitor. Who knows? It wouldn't. It would be kind of quite scriptive. Maybe he like went all the way, won World Series to end his career or something. And Dodgers are definitely one of the big big teams for to do that. So. I, so I like what he's getting. I, I think I think it was a great decision. I, I like what he's going to get out of the Dodgers, especially after it sounded like the Angels, kind of a little bit of a bitter eggs that he had there in Los Angeles. Kind of maybe he can get the revenge by going to the uh, their counterpart, local rival, if you will. It was kind of weird, too, because when he was leaving the Angels, he said it was because he didn't want to be a reserve player. He, he didn't want to be a guy on the bench. He wanted a chance to play, play every day. And – he has gotten that thus far with the Dodgers, but when they get some of those guys back off the IL, and Cody Bellinger, I know, making his way back soon, he, he might be in the outfield. But still, there's going to be less, more depth coming back for the Dodgers, and I wouldn't expect Pujols to continue being an everyday player. So that'll be something to watch, and, and I think it would be cool to, to kind of get him, see him get that swan song, but I'm not sure he'd be a lock for the playoff roster. Maybe, you know, when you expand rosters for the World Series, certainly can still pinch hit, and I know he, he's still got the bat, but... He's slow. He's old. He can't field. If I if I have to be negative about Albert Pujols, and you know, while I'm being negative, I will throw in that I think he is a large reason of the re, of why the Angels never really lived up to expectations in his era, and all that money he was making too. I think that really just financially hamstrung the team for the lack of production on Pujols. But I am kind of a long a long time Pujols hater, given all the pain he brought me in the NL Central for years and years and years. But I want to do move on to a quick update on the vaccine situation around the league. Uh, we've seen that the league is allowing teams to relax some COVID protocols when you reach a threshold of 85% of your players vaccinated. Uh, once you get there, you can have less strict requirements for face masks in the dugout and a little easier mobility uh, when it comes to travel, not uh, you know on the team plane, uh, everything like that. Just just a little more relaxed, team hotels, things of that nature. As it stands right now, we've seen about half of the league's thirty teams reach that vaccination threshold. And interestingly enough, one of those teams that reached the threshold was the Yankees, and they actually, which is part of the same segment as well, they had a bunch of people that tested positive for COVID, including Labor Torres and seven other staff members. I think not not all the staff members have returned just yet. They're still under quarantine. They're all feeling fine for the most part. I think only one of them out of the eight developed symptoms. I don't think they were too serious because they all were vaccinated. But this is apparently a very rare situation for someone who's vaccinated to have these effects and to test positive. I know it's not completely unheard of, but it's kind of weird that this happened with some of the healthiest people that you can imagine in professional sports. And it sidelined a player who really came back off the COVID injury list and hit well. So that was a bit of a weird blow for the Yankees too. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely a bit concerning, but it sounds like they'll be able to get through it, overcome it. And like seeing some of these stories like, yeah, I mean, I just, I just wonder why not, why they haven't picked it up a little more, not more of the league is vaccinated. Uh, guys on like the baseball tonight podcast were saying like, they think they're surprised. It's they're surprised. It's not like, I mean, it used to be like the polio vaccine's a regular thing and everything. And they're surprised that's been a little slow to bring up some of these percentages for a lot of the teams. Like the Mariners have a low rate and they just had several positive tests. Thankfully not enough to cancel the series that starts tonight against the A's. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's just beyond me why teams 
haven't why why I mean the country's done well with their rates, but not all teams have done great. And then like it affects other players too. Like Fernando Tatis recently was out for a few weeks. He tested positive and then but we just saw his amazing dramatic comeback this weekend. He had a great weekend. But yeah, let's just hope that MLB after this is kind of turning the corner on everything and these and these drop regulations and these drop regu- and, and these drop regulations in the clubhouse don't don't end up causing any any more outbreaks. And I've been pretty surprised too to see the hesitancy around the league that we don't have more than half of the thirty teams that have reached that threshold yet. Because I mean, in addition to those, you know, relaxed protocols that you get to enjoy as a team that's reached that threshold, it's pretty clear competitive advantage to not have to risk losing your players to the COVID IL, especially star players like Fernando Tatis Jr. Not to mention, you don't have to risk having games rescheduled, playing those pesky seven inning double headers, throwing the schedule all out of whack and having to call up pitchers, pushback starts, all, all the nine yards there. It's really a competitive advantage to you know, obviously have your guys on the field and be able to compete. So hopefully we see that number continue to tick upwards. Adam, it is weird with that Yankee situation you mentioned as well. I know it's it's supposedly very rare to see guys end up still getting it after being vaccinated and to have eight individuals with that happen to all on the same team. That seemed weird uh, for to say the least, but glad to hear that everybody's doing okay and making their way back. Certainly good news there. Uh, staying in New York, I know we touched on the Yankees there. We see ace Jacob deGrom making his way back from the injured list, supposed to pitch tomorrow. He had been having a pretty clear Cy Young type season. Hey, what else is new? I know it's, it's year in, year out for deGrom, but missed a little bit of time with a side injury. Uh, it's, it's been something that's nagging for him for a couple weeks now. Uh, I don't know if it's body's breaking down from throwing like 102 miles an hour uh, all of a sudden, but... Hopefully, Degrom able to go for the rest of the year. For the most part, Degrom has aged like fine wine. He just keeps getting better with age. It's always sad to see someone of his caliber hit the IL, but he will return on Tuesday, and hopefully, he could be all set to go. Hopefully, it's a snag him, and the Mets kind of need it too because the Mets don't really have too much room for error. They have so many players in the IL. I saw earlier today through Bleacher Report that Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto will be out for at least a month each, respectively. And the NL East is a tight division. All the teams are relatively close to one another, and they're not really close to the wild card race either. So it's kind of like whoever wins that division could end up in the playoffs. I mean, obviously it's only May, still a lot of time, but it's slowly starting to see like, okay, these are not playoff teams if they don't win the division. Yeah, and then – Thing is, I mean, the Mets pitching is what's been carrying them, and it could not come at a better time, I think, when they're right now they're holding on to that near first place in the NL East. So it's kind of a perfect time to have like an, a, a star like ace, dominant, dominant ace in the league, like DeGrom return. I mean, the, I mean, the pitching, they've had some other good pitchers doing well, but like, I mean, the rest of it, like their hitting has been pretty bad this year, too, and stuff. They're one of their low and low of offensive categories. So to have a big player carry them return he'll be re- he'll be really crucial for them definitely instrumental. injuries too degrom definitely instrumental to the success of the mets he means so much to that franchise especially to adam you mentioned all the injuries ben you could have touched on it as well you look especially their pitching staff man 
Last week, uh, they were down to one of their five starting pitchers in Marcus Stroman, who's been throwing very well, by the way, too. But you still have Cindergaard working his way back from Tommy John. You saw Taiwan Walker hit the IL last week. DeGrom obviously out, as we mentioned. Carlos Carrasco has yet to make his debut for the Mets. There's a lot of injuries, especially in that pitching staff. Pete Alonso hit the shelf for them last week as well, too. Not a pitcher, but a Awesome slugger in that offense that has been slumping, as you all mentioned as well. It looks to be a short aisle stint for Alonzo at least. But that's about all we have to say about the Mets. And I think it says something about the state of the MLB and just how often we're seeing no hitters that we've buried it 28 minutes into the show before we are discussing the two latest no hitters that we've seen in baseball. And they actually came in back-to-back days. We first saw Spencer Turnbull do it against the Mariners. I believe that was last Tuesday or I think it was Wednesday actually. And then Corey Kluber turns around and does it on Thursday against the Rangers. Adam, we're going to start off with you. Congratulations. Of course. I know it's, it's been like what, 20 something years since the Yankees had a no hitter. 22 years. That's awesome, man. I'm sure that's a great feeling. Yeah. And it was really funny too, because it came right after I finished finals for the semester and usually when I'm doing work of any type, I was doing prep work for my internship. And I'm like, no, what? I kind of want to watch the game today. I don't know why. I just want to watch the game while I'm, you know, just relaxing after finals and doing some extra work for my internship. And lo and behold, Corey Kluber throws no hitter. I watched the entire thing. And I wasn't really thinking this was serious until the sit sitting like, oh, my God, he's still going on. And these Rangers hitters are looking pathetic. Now, mind you, I have a roommate, too, who's not a sports fan. And. When the Yankees won, when Kluber completed the no-hitter, I like yelled with so much joy because I've never seen a no-hitter start to finish. Also, never seen a Yankee no-hitter, of course, from start to finish since I'm not 22 years of age. And I yelled and I freaked out my roommate because it was just so random and unexpected. But it was a very cool moment, and it just really set the tone for the Yankees' rotation this week. They've thrown 35 scoreless straight innings from their starting rotation. So although their hitting isn't there like most MLB teams – it's nice to see their pitching coming through, too. Yeah, it's just unbelievable how we've seen so many no-hitters already. This is, so, so we're in May. I don't even remember. I don't even think in the year of the pitcher there were ever six, no, six no-hitters this early in, in it and everything, and we're seeing two kind of very different kind of pitchers do it, too. You're seeing a young guy in Spencer Turbo who did it for the – who did it against the Mariners for the Tigers – and and then you have Corey Kluber doing for the Rangers. When I'm looking at them, actually, yeah, we wrote down they have they both had nine Ks and two nine strikeouts. K because strikeouts for those who don't know that are watching strikeouts and two walks for Turbo. And then Kluber had nine strikeouts and one walk. It's it's just amazing how like how like sim- similar symmetrical like their stats were in these no hitters, and yet they're both very different guys and at very different points in their careers too so it's so it's really i mean it's re, it's really kind of it's really almost scary to see kind of the spectrum of pitchers we have in this league and what what i'm we what we kind of know is that this has been a ye- another year of the pitcher definitely says a lot about the state of the game right now not only how nasty any given pitcher can be on any given night uh but that we there's so much swing and miss in the game, not a whole lot of contact. And of course you add in the new baseball where things aren't traveling quite as far. We see less home runs 
thus far more long outs, long fly ball outs. That makes the no-hitter that much more attainable. I think we've definitely seen that in the boom of, of no-hitters thus far this year. I believe, yeah, we're already up to six has been mentioned. Is that counting Bumgarner? Is it is, is it seven with the asterisk? Okay. So seven, if you count the seven-inning no-hitter of Madison Bumgarner, we may get to 20-something no-hitters by the time this year is over. I, I don't even think that's a stretch. It's certainly possible, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe I saw this when after Kruber threw his, threw his no-hitter, but I think the record for a major league season is eight. And it's only it's already sits in May, and that's without including Bumgarner's no-hitter. Now, Henry, we talked a couple of weeks ago when we saw no hit, two no-hitters in a week. We said that no-hitters are still fun. Everyone's just, you know, they're being jerks about it. They're saying, oh, no-hitters are ruining the game. But now I'm starting to think a little bit differently. Now I start starting to think like, okay, this is a problem that we are seeing with major league hitters. Major league baseball has to do something so that hitters aren't batting collective 234 right now in the season, the lowest of all time. So, I mean, I think no hitters are fun. I think for any fan that gets to see a no hitter, it's just incredible. But major league baseball will have to make some changes next year because this is starting to get a little bit ridiculous. And also, if it becomes a new normal, what I think is it will become less entertaining to see no hitters if it becomes a new normal. Because what's special about no hitters, what's special about perfect games, what's special about players hitting for the cycle, any sort of accomplishments, what's special about a four home run game is all the a player hitting four home runs in the game, three home runs in the game, is, is, it all, is all because those are such rarities in the game of baseball that like they're special when they happen and like they do happen occasionally, but if they're going to happen so much like that, like no hitters become more of a normal, there's end up like being 20 no hitters this season. It's not going to become as special of a thing. And I mean, I feel like, I feel like we don't want to lose that in a game. We like to see pitchers have like that have like, that kind of performance when it's no hitter, it's special. Like when, like I'm like personally, I remember when Dallas Braden threw his perfect only the 19th perfect game in baseball history back in 2010. It was like a special moment for the Bay Area. Like the the fact that the whole baseball world's eyes were on the Bay Area it was like a spectacle for the world to see. I feel like I, mean, I know no hitters aren't this aren't quite the same thing as perfect games. They don't tend to be spectacles for the world to see. They're still they're still close to that as spectacles for the world of sports to see. And I just feel like. They would lose that if we continue to see pitchers no-hitting teams like this is one of the thing. And I mean, some guys. I don't know about you guys, but I know I know plenty of people who like who, who don't who don't only pay to see great pitching performance. I know plenty of guys who don't only pay to see the long ball. Like it's either long ball or bust. How it is for hitters this year? I know, like home run or bust. I feel like there's a lot of people who pay to see great base running, to pay to see situational plays on base, pay to see guys like running home, touching home plate and all that. And I feel like that's some of that's being lost in this year's game of baseball with the low averages and everything. And I know, and you know, there's something to be said about a great pitching duel, great pitching performance. I think as baseball purists, we, we kind of appreciate that more probably than perhaps the casual fan, but I mean, it's, it's almost, it's a higher bar that where it's awesome. If you get to the no hitter, you get to the perfect game and even higher bar. But if you're watching like a, two hit three hit shutout that maybe is not the most fun thing to watch I mean, the shutout's still awesome but at the end of the day i think offense is objectively more fun to watch especially for the average fan who, who doesn't necessarily appreciate the art of pitching and all these no hitters do kind of water it down a little bit it makes the history less significant i think that's what's so cool about the no hitters is you look back and there's 
you know, this is the hundred something no hitter in MLB history. Might be 200 plus now. I'm not exactly sure. We're going to get there at this rate for, for certain there, there's been so many of them. And then the last thing that I want to point out too about it is that it's been very clustered too. We've already seen the Mariners no hit twice. We've seen the Indians no hit twice. The Rangers haven't been twice, have they? I know the Braves were one. Were the Rangers twice? Wow. It's, I mean, I know those aren't great offensive teams, but if you get like no hit three times in a season, you might need to be like relegated down to AAA. I remember a few years ago, I think it was when the Astros were really bad, and they were saying like, oh, a AAA team could beat the Astros or so. This is like 10 or so years ago, and you might get to see that with a couple of teams right now of how bad they're hitting and how many times they're being no hit. And I think the previous record was just two teams being no hit twice in a year. I think it came in about 2015 or so. But to have three teams already no hit twice, well, as we mentioned, it's just how many no hitters will we see by the end of the year? And you got to wonder, will MLB move the mound back by a foot? Will they rate, will they lower it? Will, I don't know, they ban the shift a little bit. They need to do something. Something needs to change. And it helps that the CBA agreement, which we talked about so much in this podcast, is coming up after the end of the season. So they might have to put in some type of agreement where that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just can't keep seeing it. It's interesting. It's not like any team's been like playing, like teams have been playing bad, but it's not like any team's historically bad this year necessarily. It's just that all this hitting's historically bad, which is like one part of the game. It has been a weird game thus far this season. Still awesome. We love baseball. We love yeah. baseball, however we're going to get it. But it's, there's been some anomalies for sure in the season thus far. And I do agree, Adam. I think something has to give, and we're going to see some kind of rule change. I don't know what exactly it is, but maybe if the MLB can just find the right way to mess with the baseball. I know they've, they've tried like four or five different iterations here in the last few years and can't seem to get it right, but I don't know. Do something to where you still get hits would, would be great, at least I think for watching the game, but We'll probably have another couple no-hitters to discuss next time we hop on the pod here. So everybody, stay uh, keep your eyes peeled on no-hitter watch. And we're going to close out the show today by running down our predictions for uh, awards, end-of-season awards, half predictions, kind of half rewarding what we've seen thus far. That's it, kind of walking a line between those two. But we're going to start off with MVP and I don't know exactly how we want to define this. If this is like who you're picking as the MVP right now or who you think is going to hold on and win it. If you, if you guys want to explain your rationale behind your picks, please feel free to do so. So I can start with the MVP and I'll choose one just to be a little bit different than you guys. But I think it my MVP right now is Otani just because he seems to have carried the Angels. Now, if the Angels can miraculously win a wild card, that's all the more reason to do that. And Otani's really, it's his show right now. It's not the Mike Trout show because he's out for six to eight weeks, but he's been better as a hitter this year than we've seen in the past. He has, I think he's still like right up there with the league lead in home runs. He keeps producing every day. He's played in pretty much every day too, either as a hitter or starter, even playing right field after he pitches as well. He has a very low ERA. I know it's in the twos as a starter too. So he seems very deserving of the award, but if not him, then maybe Raphael Devers could be a sleeper pick. He's right up there in terms of average and homers and RBIs, and he's been a very productive player for the Red Sox since one of the reasons why they're in first place. 
those are some really good dark horse picks there, Adam. I definitely, I definitely could see them. I mean, continuing to emerge this season and 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 coming through with MVPs. But I'm gonna have to go with. I mean, in honor of this whole year of the pitcher that we discussed, I'll have to go with with Garrett Cole. I mean, despite some of the issues that Yankees had this year with inconsistencies to start, Garrett Cole has just looks stellar. I mean, he's aged. He's just been aging. What well, looks like he's continuing to do an incre- just an incredible job hitting the strike zone with his. Recent record, he broke of like consecutive strikes thrown. I mean, that's ri- that's ridiculous for like a good pitcher to also just be able to throw to follow the golden rule of throwing strikes and still and still do well. Goal is, I mean, he he's on the verge of a career year. He's been eating up innings, limiting walks, by far the most consistent starting pitcher for the Yankees. And I mean, just seeing that he's one of the top pitchers in the year of the pitcher, I think I got to. I think it's, I think at this point, if like the season ended today or continue at this pace, then it'll be one of those seasons where we see a pitcher taking home both MVP, sweeping MVP and Cy Young. I just also want to lim- mention that it seems like he's at his best. I mean, his fastball velocity is at a career high. I was looking to, so I'd have to, I'd have to, I just feel like there's, there's nothing holding Garrett Cole back from going going for the full MVP and Cy Young award the same season. If there were a year for it to happen, the year of the pitcher would make sense. Uh, so I, I could see that. It's just so hard for a pitcher to elevate up to that MVP level. I feel like they just have to be so head and shoulders above the next best pitcher. And then, I mean, I guess even the rest of the hitters, too, for that matter, to be MVP. And Adam kind of picked a pitcher, too, when you think about Otani. I know he, he's been much better as a batter this season, but he's been plenty impressive as a pitcher as well, too. He kind of breaks the war scale, so – if the season ended today, I would probably side with Adam and go with Otani. I'm just a little bit worried about the durability holding up over the year. And that is why ultimately I had to go with Vlad Jr. He is currently leading all MLB qualifiers in OPS with 1.104. Vladito has emerged on the scene. He is showing that he is every bit as good as those other young superstars in the league, your Acunas, your Tatises, your Juan Sotos. He is tied for first in all of baseball with 15 home runs, thanks to two today in the day game against the Rays. Uh, He has a 333 average, 37 runs, 39 RBI, 443 on base percentage. He's got all the offensive stats to get there. Uh, Doesn't steal a whole lot of bases, but he is still a slimmer Vlad Jr. than we have known in years past, and hopefully that helps the durability for him a little bit. Henry, we talked about before the season began how every player says they come into the best shape of their life in the spring training and how we just have to see how they play until we actually believe them. We can believe Vlad Jr. now. He's stepped up. He's in his third season, and it was a bit of a delay, a little bit disappointing that we didn't get to see the Vlad Jr. show right off the bat. A lot of people thought he was going to rookie of the year. That was not the case, of course. But this is the best we have seen him, and it'll be interesting to see if we can hold that for the entirety of the season. But moving on to, I guess, NL MVPs, for me, it would probably still have to be Acuna because he's right up there with home runs in the NL and in all major league baseball. He still has stolen bases, and it still seems like he'll go on a tear of the stolen bases too. I still think he can steal at least 20-plus bats this year, possibly even 30. I believe there was a stretch a couple years back where he stole – 10 to 15 bases in July and into August. So 
He is more than capable of doing that, and he's a fixture in the race lineup. If they have any chance at winning division, which is still very possible, he needs to be on fire. He can still improve on the season. Yeah, I like that pick with Acuna. I think he's done a – I think we can – I think he seems pretty unanimous as a pick. He's been the one hitter who's really just been – Going, going for him. He's provided great speed in the field and stuff. He's done both in the field and at the plate with his home runs. And it just, it just seems like there's no, no one. I mean, it just seems like the NL hasn't really had had a whole lot of other hitters. I mean, that like I can truly say, yeah, that's like that guy really has had that it factor and consistency this year with a lot of different players disappointing. So. I have to go with him. But then, I mean, when, another one I was thinking of, though, I'm sure Henry's probably going to say this. I mean, look at the way look, look this Bryant and the bounce back year he's having. I mean, certainly he can be comeback player of the year, even though it's not an injury case. But I think we might make – we could even make it – that he could be like maybe another case for MVP down the line. What are you going to say about your guy, Chris Bryant, Henry? <laughs> I actually, I was not over here bursting at the seams ready to say Chris Bryant. I do appreciate the nod. He has had an amazing year, an MVP-type season. He got the OPS over 1,000. It has been a great comeback for Chris Bryant. Great to see him playing baseball at this level. But the guy who I was getting ready to jump out of my chair to name, who has that it factor been, perhaps the consistency not quite there as he's missed a little bit of time with injuries and COVID-19, had his Fernando Tatis Jr., he would be leading all of baseball with his 1.119 OPS if he had the at-bats to qualify. Uh, missing time has hold him, held him back a little bit there. Nevertheless, he is still only two home runs shy of the MLB lead with 13. He also has 10 steals to boot. He is very similar to Ronald Acuna Jr., and they both very well could be 40-40 guys, both young, flashy, exciting players who play great defense as well. I think either one of them would be fine picks to win MVP, and I think they're going to be duking it out for that award for years and years to come. I know each of them have like 10-plus-something-year 10 10 contracts to stay in their current homes for a while. So I think, I think that is going to be a perennial discussion in terms of the MVP race. Just to talk a little bit more about this race, the only reason why I didn't choose Tatis Jr. is because I think his defense has looked atrocious this year, actually. He does lead the entirety of Major League Baseball with 11 errors. And mind you, this is with missing time as well. Wow. And according to fan drafts, he actually is in the negative part for his defensive war, which is different than how it was a year ago. So it's a little bit weird with him because he certainly has the arm strength and the athleticism to be a great defender. But it seems like with a lot of great defenders, sometimes the easy plays still throw the ball away. And with the hard plays, they'll be able to make it. So I'd like to see that improve a little bit there. But just to throw out a couple other names, it could be Jesse Winker or Nick Castellanos, who could get some down-ballot MVP votes. The Reds aren't a great team, but those two have made the team at least playable and watchable and interesting, of course. But moving on to the Cy Youngs, I would probably say for the A at least, I think we can come to a pretty common consensus. It could be Garrett Cole. John Means could be right up there, especially if there's a no-hitter and having a slightly lower ERA than Cole right now. And for me, for the NL, it'll still probably have to be DeGrom. He should still be able to make 30-plus starts. But Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, or even someone like you, Darvish, could still get some votes as well. I also – I feel like with the NL, there's no – there's not – I mean, with DeGrom 
because of his injuries, there's not it's not as clear of a runway as maybe is with Kawhi at this moment. Because I was yeah, we were saying Woodruff is definitely a possibility, but also like Kevin Gosman and you Darvish with how he's just been like he's been the most dominant pitcher on who's now been the most dominant team in the San Diego Padres this year. So that race to me is still up in the air. And I think it should be DeGrom if he comes back tomorrow as as classic Jacob DeGrom, which I expect him to be kind of more the thing I'm worried about going forward is, is there going to be another IL stint or two? But if not, if he can be healthy DeGrom for the rest of the year, it is definitely his award to lose. He's pitched amazing. He is amazing. He's been that guy for like four or five years now. He's the poster boy of consistency. Just got to stay on that field. I do kind of like Brandon Woodruff too, though, as, as a potential guy to get there. He's been very durable. He has a 1.54 ERA, which is best among qualified starters, a 0.75 whip as well. Uh, so I think Brandon Woodruff could make some noise, and teammate Corbin Burns could certainly push him as well, as Adam mentioned. And you guys know I love me some you Darvish. He's, he's in that conversation. Trevor Bauer, too, has been pretty phenomenal for the Dodgers. He's going to be in that conversation. The reigning NL Cy Young as well is Mr. Bauer. Uh, but another guy who I think is a dark horse in that NL Cy Young candidate, who's actually my pick thus far for NL Rookie of the Year, would be Trevor Rogers for the Miami Marlins, who has been pitching phenomenally. He has a 178 ERA. That's fifth best in baseball. 108 whip, pretty good as well. That's that's not league leading uh, like, but he has 69 Ks, nice in 55 innings. Uh, and he has six wins despite being a member of the Miami Marlins. I don't know where the Marlins are coming up with this pitching. We saw last year in the playoffs with Sisto Sanchez. We still see with Sandy Alcantara or even Eliezer Hernandez, but they just pull up all these random impressive pitchers out of nowhere, and it really just keeps their team afloat despite not having the best hitters. But I'm right there with you. I think Rodgers could – is in the midst for the sign award and certainly is one of the top vote getters for the NL rookie of the year. I would say for the AL, I would still have to go with Yerman Mercedes just because he seems like the clear front runner. He is still leading the AL in batting average. And I would say maybe a distant second could be Randy Rosarena. He still is a rookie, which is hard to believe after his postseason performance and his age, but he started to heat up a bit and he could still make some headway into the rookie of the year race. I actually have a different pick for so for and I'll work for actually both those awards. I want to highlight a couple other guys who I think could be well in the race for NL. Yeah, I'm like I, I think Tyler Rogers is like the obvious leader. But then when I look at another guy who's underrated in the whole thing, I, I just kind of looked at him today, and he's actually been doing pretty well. Dylan Carlson on the Cardinals. He's been kind of one of he's been one of the better hitters. He's been batting 297. He's limited his strikeouts, which is not common among players in this day and age. And he's been one of the players, if you look at the Cardinals, they're atop the NL Central. He's been one of the players who have been, who's been really carrying the Cardinals this offense this season. So I think he could be a good dark horse to watch down the line. Speaking of dark horses, one guy who's kind of been breaking out lately this past week, who's actually my pick for AL Rookie of the Year, is Aoldis Garcia on the Rangers. I mean, we were just talking about how the Rangers were so horrific hitting before, but they've actually been hitting better lately, and they're not actually playing t as terrible this season as some people may have thought. I think a big reason for that is hitters like this guy, Garcia. Since April 23rd, he's had 20 barrels, which is 
which which is a cut which for those of you who don't know it's a combination of launch angle exit velocity so he's displaying incredible power according to sarah langs and sarah langs also showing that he's actually tied atop the league with acuna in that category and i think he's like the biggest part of why of why the rangers have actually provided a little bit of some surprising pop of excitement so i think garcia is someone we should all watch down the line he might be he's actually my pick at this point yeah, and you see that big power translating to 14 home runs for Garcia. Many of those coming in the last couple of weeks, too. He's been absolutely scorching the planet. He is on fire, but I would still side with Adam. I like Yerman Mercedes in the AL. I think he's a little bit more consistent at the plate. He's got the higher on-base percentage, and he's batting, what, 350 or something right now? I think it's like 345 at the moment. 347, actually, sorry. Not quite the home run ceiling that Garcia has. Only six homers on the on the season for Mercedes thus far. But I do like the consistency. I think there's a little bit more swing and miss in Garcia's game. But, hey, I mean, if he hits hitting all these home runs, if he hits 40 on the year, it's, it's, he's going to be a shoe-in for rookie of the year, no doubt. And I, I like Dylan Carlson in the NL as well. And I think that was a good dark horse pick. He's, he's really – Jump-started that Cardinals offense. They've been playing great baseball lately, and I think that really started when he moved up to the number two spot in their order. So high responsibility for that young man, and he's been delivering thus far. Uh, finally, before we round out the show, I just wanted to ask if you all – maybe we'll go quickly on this segment because we don't want to harp too negatively to end the show, but if we had to name a biggest disappointment. Uh, I know you don't give out awards for that, but – who would be the biggest disappointment to you thus far in the MLB season? For me, I'd probably have to go with Christian Yelich because in 2018 and 2019, he looked like the best, one of the best players in baseball, pretty much second to Trout and maybe Betts right there along with him or even Cody Bellinger. And then he fell off in 2020, and there's some concern. It's like, okay, 2020 is a weird year. He'll bounce back. He's Christian Yelich. He's cemented himself. But that's continued this year. I know it's the year of the pitcher. And maybe we'll see that change next year with MLB decides to go about in sort of a way. But this seems more to be the norm for Christian Yelich, where he's struggling as a hitter, can still be an above average hitter, but he's not going to be where he was just a couple years ago. Yeah, speaking of great offers that were top there, speaking of Cody Bellinger, that's actually my big disappointment. I will come, we, I mean, some, a lot of people will come a little more slack, and it's rightfully so because he's. He's been on the injured list on those. He's still on the injured list. Yeah, he's making his way back. I think he's possibly by the end of this week returning. But, like, I mean, yeah, I'm starting to see more str- – I mean, I, I know I've seen struggles from him before. He's had some prevalent struggles. And luckily other teammates have stepped up for the Dodgers. But, like, in, in, in like his view at bat this year, the fact that he's only batting 211 with an OPS of 654, it's just I – just, I just find that especially – disappointing especially when he's in like a, a such a great lineup of other players defending world series title but i have hope that he might bounce back it was disappointing about bellinger too is because he worked his way back from off-season shoulder surgery celebrating and that right. World series one of those cool little like like <laughs> celebrations where you clash arms shoulders with somebody actually made it back to start the season and then immediately gets that calf injury that's held him out for I think like over a month now. So disappointing, but hey, the Dodgers keep on rolling. i actually not sure they're in first place right now, but I'm sure they probably will be at some point by the end of the year. As I frantically pull up the NL West standings to check, the Padres are leading by one game in the NL West right now. Adam, I like the Christian Yelich pick as well. 
He's actually uh, been on a bit of a downward spiral since he famously called out you, Darvish, via Twitter at the end of 2019. Darvish had been like stepping off the mound and looking out, thinking Yelich was like looking out to a video board out in left field in Miller Park. And so he like commented on something about that in the post-game interview. Then Yelich tweeted at Darvish, nobody needs help hitting you. And then Yelich has been like a sub 200 hitter ever since. So I think that was the beginning of the end for Christian Yelich. But certainly some time still to turn it around. An amazingly talented player is Christian Yelich. But my biggest disappointment thus far it's got to be Francisco Lindor signing that $340 million contract to stick around with the New York Mets after this season. And now the Mets fans might want him gone after 50-something games. And granted, they've been 50 pretty awful games. He is batting a paltry 194 with a mere three home runs, nine RBI. He does have 19 runs, which looks comparatively good to the rest of those terrible stats. Uh Defense has been okay, but that's not going to save you from those crazy, crazy New York sports fans when you are hitting that poorly and making that much money. Definitely still has time to turn around, too. I don't think any of these guys are broken by any means. They're still extremely talented players, but going to have to deliver more to live up to the reputations they've built for themselves. I agree with you wholeheartedly. All three of these players that we mentioned, Yelich, Bellinger, and Lindor, they all have all the talent in the world that we have seen in the past, but it has been really sad to see how they have not performed for their teams. And at least for the Mets, I feel like, okay, okay, they're used to players not performing too well, but this is their first big contract. This is the guy that they got from Steve Cohen, their new owner, and he's not producing. And he was starting to fall a little bit under, maybe losing some of his status as best shortstop on all of baseball, which he held on to for a couple of years. But he still looks like he was going to live up to that contract. He still can, of course. But now it seems like, okay, some of those struggles were real. Some of the struggles of Bellinger and Yelich were real as well. And that's concerning, that they might not reach the threshold they were just a couple years ago. Well, we're still yet to be fully halfway through the season. So a lot of these predictions, disappointments could turn around the span of a week. That's what, that's the miracle of the baseball season, and we look forward for what the rest of the season brings for that. That we do, Ben. Well said. A nice note of optimism to close out our, our pessimistic end of the show. Thank you all for bearing with us as we've harped on some of these early season disappointments. I'll tell you what hasn't been a disappointment, though. It's been another great episode of the Exit Velo podcast presented by Backsports Page. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time, this has been Exit Velo. Mm-hmm.